Good morning, you guys. Welcome to New Church Online. Good to be here with you. Hopefully you're staying cool. Uh, I am not staying cool right now. It is hot up here where I'm preaching, uh, but we're going to get through it, hopefully. Uh, just keep an eye on me. If I start to drift off, uh, call Amy. Uh, had a dentist and an eye doctor appointment this past week, which is like, yeah, good times. Uh, you know, the eyes are a little easier to accept. Some people ask, like, how come you're not wearing your glasses? I I'm nearsighted, so I'm okay right here. I like wearing them when I'm out there with you guys uh, to be able to see people sleeping in the back. But right now I'm okay, I can read my stuff, I'm good. And the eyes, yeah, you just kind of go and you check in and, and everything is okay. They're on the decline. Uh, she gave me sort of a forecast of, hey, five years from now, you may want to try this, but it's okay. The dentist I don't like as much, it is uncomfortable. Uh, and the teeth, aside from often being more expensive, carry a sort of shame. I, I've carried shame about my teeth. And when the dentist is going through it, or my hygienist is going through it, who's super great, uh, love my dentist, but going through your teeth, and you know those hook, hook-shaped things, so they go in there and they're just like, I'm like, what is in my teeth plaster? Like, what is going on in there? Because I feel like I take care of it. Like, just scraping stuff, like putting their foot on the thing, like trying to hook out this stuff. And it's embarrassing. And when I have to explain whatever's wrong with my teeth, I feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm a bad person. Go ahead and judge me. I'm a, I'm a bad person. And these visits, when whether it's your eyes or your, or your doctor or your teeth, they bring this exposure, this illumination to your health and, and then often problems. So, uh, and one has, hey, everything's good, looking good, things are great. Like here's also maybe some areas to work on. Spending time in the text, in the Word, in our Bible, uh, is like that. It's, it's like going to the doctor for a checkup. And it's something we should do daily. When you read the text, when you look at the book of James, there's areas of health that I think many of us can see like, okay, I feel pretty good about that. And there's also opportunities for growth. Like, yeah, I'm missing it there. Did not see that. And James, in, in this text, he offers us dozens of areas, excuse me, dozens of areas to examine our lives as inspired by the Holy Spirit to help us live well with one another and to live well with God our Father. So we're going to jump around a little bit today, and I believe there's something in here that, you, that might serve you as a little bit of a doctor's appointment, a little bit of a checkup, a little bit of an exam, as it has for me even if you're not excited about it. Uh, so last week, we held off in this section we're going to get into, uh, but it goes in the same theme of make peace, not war, part of chapter 4. And this is uh, talking about judging others, uh, which nobody does anymore, so it's super irrelevant. But I'm going to read it anyway, and we'll see what comes out of it. Uh, this is chapter 4, verse 11. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law and not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone has the power to judge or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge your neighbor? The other day, uh, Amy was on her phone and she called over to me from uh, across the room. And she just said, you know people can see who you follow. And I'm like, what? She's like, people can see who you follow. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? She said, well, I was checking this page. And I could see that New Ventura follows this person. And I don't remember if it was an outspoken conservative or, or outspoken liberal or whatever they were, but they were, very, they were a polarizing person. I said, yeah, I, I'm not saying I agree with everything, but I like hearing what they're saying. I like to hear what other people say. I, I, I like to listen. I'm not trolling. I'm actually listening. What's going on in the conversation? And she said, well, people will think you're just for that side. And I was like, you're kind of right. Like, she's right. We're in a time right now where people judge one another by things like that. Like, who's your friends on Facebook? 
People can go through it like, oh, you're friends with them. I didn't know I was better than you. And also, we can't be friends anymore, so unfollow, click. And it's just passing judgment all the time on people we don't know or, or maybe we think we know or we're making assumptions about. And if you agree with me on everything, then you're okay. You can be in my circle. We can be friends. If you don't agree with me about everything, then naturally you're wrong and you can't be part of my life, which maybe seems a little dramatic, but not really, especially if you include what's going on in your heart. Some of us are actually okay out here, but inside, yeah, you're passing judgment all the time. And there are select passages that, that talk about when it's appropriate to judge uh, for, for a church community, for a Christian community, for a follower of God. Uh, we're not supposed to just never judge. We need to use discernment. Uh, Jesus says this in John 7, Do not judge according to appearance, so don't judge on what you see, but with righteous judgment. With righteous judgment. Uh, he talks about this in this way. First, take the plank out of your own eye before you can help your brother take the speck out of his eye. And this is this idea of not judging someone else on the little speck in their life without looking at the bigger things in your life. But here's the thing. There are a couple examples about that to be careful of. But there are tons of Bible verses that say, judge not lest you be judged. Jesus says it throughout the Gospels. Paul says it in Romans and pretty much every other letter. James is saying it here. So if you're going to throw judgment around, just be prepared to have that judgment turn back on you. As James addresses the churches that he's speaking to, he's more of an, in, in a vein of like, let's keep it simple. Stop judging one another. You are in no position to speak against your brothers and sisters. Let's go with grace first. Judging, in a sense, is for people who have a lot of practice being forgiven. A lot of practice being forgiven. People who can judge are experts in grace. Experts in grace. Now, discipline, assessment, judgment, yes, it has its place in our community, but handle with care. The Pharisees, these were New Testament religious leaders, and they did not handle judgment well. Uh, they knew nothing of grace, and they were just super judgy dudes. They were just judgy. They went around judging everybody. And the thing about the Pharisees that we have to be careful of for them, if it felt wrong for them, if it felt wrong for the Pharisees, then it was wrong for everyone else. And then they made it a rule. So if they felt like something is wrong, they mandated it as being wrong for everyone, and they made that the law. The Pharisees even judged Jesus often and all the time, and it led to others to judging him as well. They said things like, oh, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He's a glutton and a drunk. Don't be a Pharisee. Judging is not a spiritual gift. Discernment is. Pray for discernment. Practice grace. James goes on, and we'll, uh, we're going to skip a couple sections. We'll come back to those at another time. But he gets into this idea of praying in faith. Praying in faith as he, as he wraps up this, this letter. We're going to pick up in 13, 513. Are any of you suffering hardships? Again, I know this is super irrelevant stuff, but are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are. 
And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Prayer is perhaps the most important element of our faith. And yet it's the one we often spend the least time practicing. Maybe because it's surprisingly hard for many of us. Paul says, rejoice always and pray without ceasing. He says, do it all the time. Pray all the time. Which sounds overwhelming, like eh, maybe for Paul or for Jesus. It's okay to remember that we're all amateurs at this stuff. I'm an amateur at this stuff. Jesus was the pro, I'm an amateur. In fact, this week, uh, I was up in the morning and I like to get out, get out of the house first thing. And I was uh, gonna go for a walk. And I thought, I just need to go out for a walk and to pray. I need to pray and listen. I'm just going to leave my AirPods behind and just, just get out there. Walk with God. Uh, see if he has anything to say to me. Uh, see if my heart reveals anything I need to say to him. I was getting ready to go out the house. And I thought, you know what? It'd be nice to warm up with a little bit of worship music first. So like, whatever, I'll, I'll take the AirPods. I'll pop on some worship. So I get my AirPods, put them in. Walk out the house. Start going on my phone to find some worship music to listen to. And I ended up finding this, this video about making pizza. And I listened to this pizza making video for 30 minutes. And man, it was an awesome pizza making video. I'm super pumped at making pizza right now. Uh, but, but it wasn't a prayer walk. It wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. And yeah, well, I can make pizza to share with others. That's a good thing. And now I can make pizza for my family. That's fine. But it wasn't going for a walk with God. It wasn't praying. It was doing something else. And it's so easy to get off course. James is writing here, he said, hey, pray in suffering, pray in affliction, pray in good times. Seven times in these six verses, he says pray or prayer. Seven times in six verses, just packing it in. Just pray, 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 pray for yourself, pray for others. This is gold, this is Philippians 4, 6. I think we shared this on Instagram this week. It says this, don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything. This is New Living Translation. Don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Yeah, but Jesse, you know, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't know how hard it is. And you know what? I probably don't. I'm not you. And I have never faced hard times, so whatever. But look at this text. I believe it's inspired. I believe it can help. I believe it can offer something. Give it a try. And his peace will guard your heart and your mind beyond what you can understand. Prayer may not always change your situation. That's just not how it works. But it will always change you. Prayer may not always change your situation, but it will always change you. And you may be lacking peace in your life because you're looking in the wrong places. James goes on, he references uh, Elijah. Elijah is a great Old Testament character. Uh, and he's referencing this story in 1 Kings 18, this Old Testament story. And what's happening at this time is the nation of Israel has fallen away from God. And they've got this guy Ahab who's king. He's a bad dude. He's a wicked king. And Elijah's one of the lone prophets of God left, one of the lone voices of God, someone who's remained faithful. And God, during this time, over his nation, he's disciplining his nation for falling away. They're worshiping other gods or doing things they shouldn't be doing. And he says, you know what? There's going to be a little bit of a drought. There's going to be famine in the land. And this is going to hopefully get you back on course. And so he uses Elijah. Elijah says, hey, there's going to be a drought. 
And Elijah prayed to God that, that it would stop the rain, and the rain stopped for three years. No rain, no rain in the land, drought, massive famine. And Elijah's preaching, he says, you guys need to turn back to God. He loves you, he's not done with you, but you gotta turn back to him. And so Ahab and, and his leadership says, all right, well, let's see if your God's even real, because we think we have the right gods. So let's have a showdown to see whose God is real. And so Ahab, this wicked king, gets together all these prophets, these other uh, pagan prophets who are worshiping other gods, 950 of them, so 950 guys. And it's just Elijah, there's one, and Elijah has his, his partner, his servant with him. So right, let's have a showdown, let's get all the people together. And they go up to this mountain, and they build this huge altar, and they, and they throw some bowls on it and wood. And they said, all right, let's see which, which God is real. Let's see which one throws down fire from heaven and consumes the sacrifice. And so all these prophets get together, almost a thousand of them. They're calling together around this big altar, shouting out to their God, looking for fire. And nothing's happening. Nothing's happening at all. And Elijah's hanging out. Hours are going by. And Elijah actually starts taunting at them, like, hey, maybe your God's sleeping. And he's just chilling. These guys are freaking out. They start cutting themselves. They're doing whatever they can to coax their God out of the sky to consume this fire and prove himself real. And Elijah's like, all right, I think you guys are done. Let me, see if, let me see what my God might do. And Elijah goes over to his altar, the sacrifice where, where he was looking to get consumed. They said, you know what, let's, let's throw a bunch of water on it first. And he has him just pour water all over the wood, and the sacrifice soaks it, soaks it in water. So there's a moat around it. There's so much water. And this calls out to God, and God consumes this, this sacrifice right away. This, it just ignites in, in fire. And the people are all there, and they repent like, oh, my gosh, we have been on the wrong side. That's the guy. So the people repent. And they're worshiping God again. They have fallen on their faces. They're asking for forgiveness. They're getting rid of all the old prophets, all these wicked, evil prophets. They say, we want to follow the one true God again. And they have this hope and this, and this excitement that there'll be rain again in their land. And Elijah says to Ahab, this wicked king, he says, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. So this God's grace is coming even in their wickedness. There is the sound of heavy rain. So Ahab, he goes off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel with his servant, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Ahab goes to celebrate. Elijah goes up to pray. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. The servant got up and looked. And looking, they're looking for clouds. They're looking for a sign of rain. The servant comes back and says, there's nothing. There's nothing out there. The skies are blue and clear. Elijah says, go look again, go look again, go look again. He gets up and he looks again. There's nothing, Elijah, there's nothing. Seven times Elijah said, get up and look again. Go look again. And you can picture Elijah in this moment. He's got his hands down. He is praying to God for continued deliverance. God, bring the rain, God, bring the rain. Servant, go check, go check, go check. What do you see? And the seventh time the servant comes back, he said, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand rising from the sea. He said, it's not much, but I see something. I see something out there. Elijah said, go tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling. When he tells Ahab, I, I hear the sound of rain, uh, it can be translated as the sound of, a, of an abundance of rain. Like, this isn't just like a couple raindrops, like something is coming. A, a, an abundance of water is gonna come from the sky. And when he said that to Ahab, after he had victory over the false prophets, there wasn't a cloud in the sky. There was no sign of rain at all. Yet he chose to believe 
what he heard in his spirit in spite of what he saw. He chose to believe what he heard in his spirit in spite of what he saw. If God is going to bring rain, he's going to bring rain. And with his eyes, he saw drought and, and famine and barrenness. But in his spirit, he heard the sound of the abundance of rain. And he's with his servant and he continues to pray. He believes God is going to deliver. God has delivered, but he keeps praying. He keeps praying. Pray without ceasing. Even when things are going well, even when it seems like it's starting to work out, keep praying. And he tells the servant, look again, look again, look again. I can't see anything. Look again. Look again. Some of us need to hear that this morning or this afternoon or, this, or tonight or wherever you are. Look again, look again, look again. God is moving. Look again, look again. Maybe you've been praying for something. Maybe others have been praying for you. I see nothing. I see nothing. Look again. Look again. Look again. Look again. And this prayer of Elijah, it's not about controlling the weather. It's that prayer can accomplish a lot. Prayer can accomplish the miraculous, the miracle. Prayer can accomplish huge and great and amazing things. And for some of us, if, we are, if we're honest, we ask ourselves this question. If God answered every one of your prayers, would it change anybody's life except your own? Would it change anyone, anyone's life except your own? Elijah is pouring himself out on behalf of someone else. On behalf of those who are actually not very good people. They were wicked. But he said, man, if they can come to repentance, if I could be a part of God's grace, I want to be part of that. Look again, look again. With prayer, you are not limited by your own capabilities. You are not limited by your own capabilities. James points out Elijah was a human just like us. He was a man just like us. And he prayed earnestly. And God brought forth grace and deliverance. In the Greek, prayed earnestly is really just prayed with prayer. He prayed with prayer. So prayer is earnest. It's fervent. It's committed. And there is conviction in prayers. And saying you're sending prayers is not praying prayers. We say, oh, prayers for you, prayers for that, hearts and, and thoughts and prayers are with them. That's not praying. That's saying the word praying. Saying you're sending prayers is not praying prayers. Praying prayers is what Elijah did earnestly. He put his head down, he put his knees on the ground, and he leaned into his God. And then he checked, what's God doing? What is God doing? I'm praying, what's God doing? Some of us right now need to remember to pray. We need to, we need to remember to get after it in our relationship with God and pray, really pray, not just say, I'm praying, praying for you, really pray. And some of us need to start looking for what God's doing. Ah, he's not doing anything. Look again. What's God doing in your family? Look again. What's God doing in your neighborhood, in your community, in your school, in your life, with family? Look again. Look again. You're praying. What's God doing? So I'm going to pray. We'll close out. And uh, look again. Look again. Some of us need to be reminded to look again. God, right now, I, I, I think of those who are feeling a little lost. They feel like nothing's happening. They look to the skies and they are just clear and there is no sign of you anywhere. And maybe that's in a relationship. Maybe that's a marriage relationship. Maybe that's a, with kids, uh, sons or daughters. Maybe that's an extended family. Maybe that's a neighbor or an old friend or community, something at school. Like God's not doing anything. Maybe it's a job. I don't see, I don't see God anywhere. Look again. 
look again. Keep praying and look again. Keep praying and look again. And Lord, I pray you would show yourself to those who need to see you right now, even if it's a little bit, even if it's a small cloud on the horizon. I pray that, Lord, right now, this morning, this afternoon, today, that you would reveal yourself to those who need to see you the most. Holy Spirit, we thank you. Thank you for moving. Continue to touch our hearts in your name. Amen. All right, you guys, thanks for hanging out. We'll see you soon. Don't forget your kids. Peace.